All right. So from us to you. No, fuck that. This has been Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I'm Carl. This is definitely not Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Whatever, you do it. <laughs> Welcome to Back in the Field. My name is Carl. And my name is Arthi. Today we're going to be talking about The Party. The Party is the 16th episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. It's the episode that directly followed... The catastrophic Super Bowl episode. I think catastrophic is being a little too cruel, but you're right. It was a very weak episode, and that is made no more clearer than if you watch these two episodes back to back. Or within three days of each other, which was the way that most people watched them if they were watching them along with the show at the time. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. There was, in our pre show recording conversation, Carl and I were talking about there is no continuity. There's notable continuity problems between Operation Broken Feather and this episode, insofar as, like, that episode's kind of out-canon, almost. Yeah, it's like, uh, the main continuity problem is that the characters aren't being themselves <laughs> in a big way. And it's, There's a, an actual continuity error, but I wouldn't call that problems. That's fair. You, funny, I was thinking about this, though, just like now, and I realized we never hear about them mentioning anything that happened in Broken Feather ever again. I don't think they mention anything of it. Not the office map, not <laughs> the experimentation, not Amy going to major crimes, not any of it. And, like, the major crimes photo disappears immediately? You'd I think that that would be permanent set dressing. Exactly, because there was a picture going around of somebody who had, like, drawn in the background. Like, it's in Operation Broken Feather, and then it's, like, definitely gone by unsolvable. It's in. It's on Amy's desk when they did the TCA set tour. Interesting. Maybe she put it back after he left. She may have been like, this is too much for both of us being here all the time. Yeah, especially since we're not going on another date. Yeah, I never thought about it like that. But anyway, right. this is not friggin' Broken Feather episode. Uh, yeah, I just edited that last night. It's been on my mind. Sorry. Okay. But yeah, let's talk about the party. So let's, start, let's go through the main plot lines of the party. Well, there's really just... Everyone's in the same place. Yes. So there's the plot line, which is there's a party, and people are trying to interact with it. And either there's one plot, or there's seven plots. There's at least five plots. Yeah. So probably there's just the one plot. But what happens in it is everyone gets invited to... It's Raymond Holt's birthday party. Raymond, the slacks are knockout. Uh-huh. We'll get there. I'm sorry, I jumped just the gun. hold it in. I can't. So it's Ray Holt's birthday. Yeah, they've all been invited to the, uh, his home by his husband, Kevin Cosner. And they have no idea how to behave like normal human adults as Terry discovers. So he gives them all assignments, which they mostly fail. Uh, they try to complete their sub-objectives, like Jake's sub-objective that he's going to finish his conversation about the New Yorker, and Amy's sub-objective is to spy on everything. And, um... Find a way to bond with Holt, yes. Yeah. Over shared stuff, I guess? Sh shared objects. Yes. She's really incompetent in this episode. Like, extra incompetent compared to anything that she's ever been. And Boyle meets the love of his next four episodes. <laughs> Five episodes? Six episodes. Boyle meets the love of his next rest of the season. Yeah. Vivian Ludley. She's a fellow foodie and academic. 
Because Kevin Costner is a professor at the classics department. Of Columbia. Of Columbia. Yeah, they're actually Which is how they own that house. Like, there aren't very many jobs in academia that will let you own that house that aren't administrative. And he has one of them. He has, he is the department chair, he's the head of the classics department at Columbia. I think so, yeah. Yeah. And he's apparently an ex-journalist. Uh, yeah. Well, no. So, if you are the head of a department at Columbia, you can just write articles for the New Yorker. You're a public intellectual. Oh, I didn't know that. So, that is something that people will do, right? When I when I went to Harvard, I took a class from James Wood, who's a book reviewer for, I think, for the New York Times, or maybe also for the, for the New Yorker, but he's also a really serious English academic. Oh, okay. Like... Yeah, my state school didn't really have people like that. Being a big deal humanities scholar in the Ivy League makes you a part of the upper level intelligentsia in a certain way and you and that gives you access to writing for the New Yorker way to like also we just had a weird like mind share moment because I was thinking intelligentsia really loudly at you (laughs) (laughs) well it's it's so much the thing that you see in this episode Mm -hmm. you see it clashing with the really thoroughly like lower middle class profession of being a police officer yeah. And the detective's a little different from that, but it's still something you get to from the, like, working class. The most education that's absolutely required to be a cop is high school. And that's what Jake has. And the artisanal intellectual class has completely different concerns on the most part. Except for, like, Boyle, who is a professional foodie. Uh, or, no, he's an amateur foodie, but he has a very successful blast. Yes. Well, he also is straight up said he played, he went to college. Oh, yeah, he definitely yeah. went to college. He's a college-having-gone-to guy. <laughs> yeah. And Amy went, studied art history, so... Both of those are a little outside of the norm. Yeah. But, yeah. It's a little weird that Amy didn't try to um, translate that into party success, but it's not surprising that Amy would pick a losing strategy. She could have won a lot of points by making really boring small talk with people. Because I don't think there were any art history people there. No. There were film critics. But they're clearly defeatable by laymen. <laughs> and we'll get to that. We'll get to all of that. Yeah. So we covered Jake's primary plotline is bond with Kevin. Which is failing. <laughs> Amy's primary plotline is spy her way into Holt's life. Also failing. Terry wants to keep his stupid grown-up kids in line. Which fails beyond be, for reasons beyond his control. Scully and Hitchcock are trying not to get in the way. They actually succeed. Oh yeah, they're really good at that job. <laughs> um, Gina and Rosa. Gina, Rosa's job is to make sure Gina doesn't steal stuff. Anymore. Anymore. She fails that job. Technically. They get it back, but... <laughs> but she also manages to distract Gina well enough. And Rosa's job is to wear that dress, also. Oh, man. Ugh. Oh, man. Can we start with wardrobe in this episode? Yeah, sure. Let's start with wardrobe in this episode. Jake's just wearing whatever the heck he was already wearing at work, plus a jacket. Yeah. Like a bad blazer. Did he even tuck his shirt in? Yes. He did? Yes. But it's a plaid shirt. No, it's solid blue. Oh. Oh, you're right. It's a really... It's it's a really... The tie we've seen before, but it's a very, like, mediocre shirt. It's a starter formal wear. Yeah. It's definitely... A lot of things in Jake's life are starter. Yeah. Starter position. Like, go to an H&M, man. (laughs) 
Yeah, you don't even have to try that hard. H&M you can get like a like a hundred dollar suit there. Really? And it'll look fine. I didn't know that. Well, I mean, I don't know. You can get H and M has really low quality clothes mm. that look fine, and he only wants to wear it twice. Pretty much, yeah. I got a really nice blazer there for like ninety bucks, but that's on the highest end of their price level for men and quality level for men, and it was knew that they started having items that were that good at that time. So he could get like, I mean, I mean, it would suit, it would like fit him because he's H and M shaped. <laughs> he's not quite skinny enough. I don't know. I'm just like I, I, I get that because like I owned a suit from Old Navy mm-hmm. for years, and it cost me all of seventy dollars, but it looked much more expensive, which was awesome. Yeah, but if material was like, you know, it was like cotton, and I could throw it in the machine. I could yeah. literally throw it in the machine yeah. as long as I ironed it. It looked perfectly fine. Yeah, um, and lint rolled. <laughs> but that's the that's the low end of the makeup. I mean, I don't think this shirt is the biggest problem. No, I think it's the. Blue shirt, pretty similar color blazer combination. Mm. That looks not... It's not a good move. You want more contrast than that? He's wearing a blue tie on a blue shirt with a blue blazer. That's, like, amateurly. Like, just because that's how it works for cops. (laughs) Oh, shit! That's exactly what it is! There's too much blue in dress blues. I mean, that's the point. Yeah. Yeah. So winners and losers in the in the in the outfit game department. Losers include Jake Peralta, Scully, Scully, who's wearing shorts. In, despite explicit, thing. I don't know why that had to be a thing that he told them, but it so clearly did. Oh, I know it's great. Well, to be fair, Jake showed up to his date in cargo shorts. I'm pretty sure if Jake could have, he would have shown up to this party in cargo shorts. But that was an intentional thing he did to be a dumbass. But we don't know that But he, he had would... a different goal. <laughs> fair enough. Other losers in the outfit game. Uh, what was Gina's outfit? Uh, Gina's outfit was a dress that looked fine on her. Oh, okay. The big loser for, for Gina right now is Chelsea Pretty does not look that good with really dark hair. And this is the first episode where her hair is dyed really dark. Yeah. Well, I guess it was also that way Broken Feather because that happened after. But Technically, yeah. Obvious winner is Rosa. Yes. Killed that's, it. That's the best dress. <laughs> like, wear that forever. And she, that's, I think, the only time we've seen her and not in pants on the show. Yeah, that's true. She always wears, like, leather or jeans and boots and the jacket and, like, a blouse. Yeah, you're right. It's amazing. It's such an aggressive dress. Yeah. It's got a bunch of, like, sharp arrows and things. It's like a leather jacket of a dress. But it's of, great. like Of a formal, like, little black dress. But it's great. Yeah, it is. It's so great. Holt wins because he always looks... Yes. Excellent. I mean, Holt and Kevin both look like flawless hosts. Yeah. And that's a good suit on him. Yes. Sometimes, like... <laughs> I think that his with jacket police uniform is pretty unflattering, but the suit is very flattering. I agree. Hitchcock d- goes without. Needs he's no he's all the way to the bottom. He's fine. It's, uh, it's good if you don't notice Hitchcock. Yeah, in general. Um, and weirdly, Amy, I think, came out on the losing end. Yes. I like that. Satisfactory, I think, is what we could say, baby. Yeah, she came right in the middle. Like, yeah. it's not offensive, but girl's done better. Mm-hmm. The girl's done a lot better on dates with people that she didn't even want to be on dates with. She did, like, this is this is way below her Thanksgiving dress, for this example. Is, yeah, I mean, we love that dress. But this is even way below her dress that she wore to the Magic Theme Singles Night. 
Yeah. Wait, did she wear a dress to that? Yeah, it was a purple dress. It was really oh, pretty. It was like a it was like a sheath dress. Oh, I don't, I don't remember that one. Either way, the cut of this dress is not is weirdly unflattering for her. Yeah, and the fit isn't great. Yeah, the fit's not right for some reason. But the main problem is like it seemed like she tried to do an updo and their hair fell over and she salvaged it. <laughs> and I mean, I've done low I I, I was thinking about that cuz it's like right here. It's like uh, It's like a really loose ponytail. Or something. It is definitely, it definitely looks like she tried really hard to pin that up and it just sort of went bloop and she was like, alright, I'm done. Hairspray done. Out of time. <laughs> she just, she was running late, clearly. Rosa wins the end. <laughs> I think that Terry's full outfit was quite good, but we didn't get to see it for very long because he took one for the team. Yeah, go Terry. Go Sarge, taking one for the team. But yeah, Terry looked excellent. I'm, I'm a little sad that he didn't bring Sharon, though. Yeah, that's. I guess she had to take care of the kids. Yeah, I could see that. Hmm. By the way, total sidebar. The remember how in in our in our episode of Broken Feather we had went, not Broken Feather Ebony Falcon we had wondered if those two twins were the same twins from the pilot. Yeah, I was listening to an interview Terry Crews did at TCA uh, at the the Critics Choice Awards that they had the people come in and tour the set and there was there's some footage of them talking to Terry Crews, and he's like, yeah, they are the same kids. He talks about, like, how the first, they, they took pictures pre-pilot with the kids, and they were like, ah, and they were, like, smiling and whatever. But, but the second time, they'd gotten older and more aware. So they are like, who is this strange man, and why is he holding us, and why do we have to talk to him? Get away, we want to go home now. Oh, and no. he was like, I love kids so much, and it was just like, oh, no. It was great. It was such a great interview. I'll try to link it in notes for this episode, but... They are the same kids. They're trying to use the same twins. It sounds like they don't want to do it again, though. Oh, the kids definitely don't. They might do it again. I mean, they're actors. They're yeah, children. Yeah, I mean... So far, Cagney and Lacey have been the same pair of twins, we'll which see, is really cool. We'll see if that continues. But they're adorable chubby cheeks, though. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Terry took one for the team, but otherwise, yeah, who looked... He looked... I mean, Terry Crews looks great. Yeah. Like... I just mean that, that uh, the... The blue sweater and the that kind of soft sweater over uh, collared shirt look. Collar shirt is a great look that benefits especially from being well fitting. Mm. So let's. Uh, so we've covered most of the plot lines, right? Yeah. Did we miss anyone? Well, we haven't gone deep with any of them, really. Okay. We've, we've talked about what they are. Yeah. So overall, though, we talked about how this was supposed to probably be the episode that followed the Ebony Falcon and didn't. Let's talk about why. Well, so we talked in Broken Feather that they probably didn't get a lot of forewarning that they were going to be doing a Super Bowl episode. Mm-hmm. The party could never be a Super Bowl episode for the simple reason that, well, for a few reasons. First, it's continuity heavy. And more importantly, it's about a birthday party being thrown for a gay black man who's married to a white man full of academics like kind of making fun of a blue collar profession on national sports day (laughs) would not have flown no and has jokes about the new yorker (laughs) instead of joe theisman oh my god yeah this episode is too smart (laughs) this episode looks down its nose on national sports day (laughs) (laughs) this episode actually kind of drips elitism and not in a kind of bad way. Like, I think the academics are much more often the butt of the joke. Mm-hmm. 
but again, not in a kind of anti-intellectual way that would have made it fly. Yeah, I mean... Parson- you benefit a lot from knowing what The New Yorker is like, for example. Yeah, I, I have very little idea of The New Yorker, because I'm not about that life. And, I mean... I get The New Yorker, but I never, ever read it. My parents are very enthusiastic about Christmas presents sometimes. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. I mean, I used to read The Wall Street Journal, so I can't pretend I'm not bougie. But, like... The Wall Street Journal has some real problems. Oh, God. Why do you think I stopped my subscription? (laughs) Come on. Back on topic. Yeah. The sports ball thing. We couldn't have had this episode following sports ball. Impossible. Yeah. It would have rub- it would have ruffled too many feathers for one. It was. It's way too continuity. Like, you need to know that, you know, there's a lot of pieces you need to know ahead of time. It's so fast with throwing all the characters together and making them do so many things. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to know who these people are. You have to be really invested in them. Yeah. It's not even about police work at all. No, it's... Oh my god, it's a cop show not even about a case at all. I mean, he solves a case, which makes it a police episode more than a lot. And the episode that ends with him solving a case is kind of like... police And has that kind of rush. Right. And it's about police culture. Right. To a certain extent. Right. But, like... They don't go out with guns and find criminals. You're right, because if I were introducing someone to the show, I would not start with this episode. I would start with The Vulture, or I would start with The Bet. I mean, what I just recommend to someone today is watch episode one, then watch episode five, mm-hmm. and then you can go from there. Yeah. Skip two, three, and four. So you mentioned it's about, it, it's not about police work, but it's about police culture. Let's talk about that, because... It ties into sort of the larger thing you were talking about, which is, like, how there's some elitism here. It's yeah. cops versus academics, kind of. Because Terry has to straight up tell them, don't huddle over here by yourselves altogether. Mingle. Don't, don't become... Don't just be a police block. Yeah. And he really has to tell them that, because these are incredibly different worlds. You know? Terry is by far... Terry tells Amy how to try to do the thing and she fails at it but it's great to see that terry is like so experienced with having to do this yeah he he's been to these parties before yeah but, well actually i don't think he's been to holt's parties maybe he hasn't been to holt's parties and mcginley probably had really rubbish parties but he's been playing the game yeah and he knows how to strategize this and terry i'm sure is someone who had to like we've seen terry's apartment We've seen how bougie Terry is, mm-hmm. and Terry is has tastes that are above his like strict income. Yeah, I think. Yeah. I mean, there are certain uh, like compromises you make when you have twin infants, uh, money wise. But his only indulgence now is fresh fruit yogurt parfaits. Pretty expensive. I'm going to make myself sad if I talk about compromises in New York apartments and children, so... At least Brooklyn's marginally more affordable. Yeah, I, I don't live in Brooklyn, though. Oh, yeah. I'm not worried about Terry. He's a professional actor. <laughs> Terry Cruz, yes. And Terry Jeffords, also, yeah, he's fine. He's fine. No, but you're right. Uh, Terry Jeffords has tastes that are are sort of... And Charles, too. Both of them do things that their immediate income wouldn't make it sound like they could. I don't know. I mean, actually, it's pretty easy to live a life of enjoying the food that you have in front of you and going to museums whenever you want in New York for not very much. That's true. There's a lot of uh, low-cost culture in New York. You're right, because when I was making 55 grand a year, I was able to sort of maintain... I could do those things. I went to museums. I, you know, enjoyed 
I, I went to occasional musicals and theater and stuff like that. You're right. You can make it happen, and it's not the worst. Going to musicals and theaters, anything, like, even enough to call it occasionally, is a big, like, up in cost, right? Like it depends, because, like, if you go to off-Broadway... Yeah, and if like, you find rush the- tickets. It's a lot cheaper if you're unemployed, because <laughs> you can actually get the rush tickets, right? Yeah, there are certain advantages to that. Regardless, your overall arching point is correct. Even, even with bougie tastes... You know, making no money, you can still manage to enjoy those things here in New York. Yeah. Charles sticks to the strategy, and yeah, he succeeds. Yeah, he's told to talk only about food. He loves talking only about food. And he manages If it. he were allowed to, he would always only talk about food. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it works so well, he gets a girlfriend. <laughs> he gets a fiancé. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but for now, it's just a girlfriend. True. You're true. Yeah. Yeah. Although, like, making out in your boss's coat closet... Still a weird move. Still a weird play. It looked like she pulled him into the coat. Oh, yeah. She was definitely the sexually <laughs> aggressive partner at okay. all times. But especially here. Like, she asks him if he's single. I'm sure that once he said there was no one in his life, she's like, okay, come on. I love that. I love that actress, too. She was on Taxi. Hmm. Yeah. That's what I was like, why do I know her face? And I was like, oh, because I used to watch Taxi when I was a child and didn't know what anything was going on. But I recognized that face. <laughs> it's a shame Amy didn't listen to Terry. She would have been so great. And she could have earned so many really easy and free points for making boring small talk about art history. She took totally the wrong tag. And this is another case of Terry actively mentoring Amy. And her paying no attention. Or just not recognizing mentorship when she's getting it. Like, she was given the opportunity to score these points, and instead she spied on Holt, tried to make small talk about microwaves. And then got kicked out of the party. Yeah. Her actions are what get everyone kicked out. Yeah. Yeah, because Rosa and Gina could have kept going forever. Scully was holding court. Scully was Scully owned the party. Scully he, was in his shorts, was singing professional-level opera. Gorgeous voice. Yeah. Gorgeous voice. Yeah. And clearly everyone was, like, into it. Yeah. It's, like, the right level of bougie meets, like, like parlor trick, you yeah. know? <laughs> like, bam, you hit it. <laughs> he, he owned the party. The winner of the party is Scully. Yes, he did best. Without question. Second, Gina. I think that you have to attribute all of Gina's success to Rosa, though. Fine. Gina and Rosa as a pair, second only to Scully. Mm-hmm. And the biggest loser of the party, Amy. Yeah. Hands down. She tries to make small talk about microwaves and hummus. She, like, leads the charge in invading Holt's personal space. Yes. She's the first one under the under the thing. She's. I think that Jake makes a more visible ass of himself with his pro-slavery stance. <laughs> But at least you can attribute that to... <laughs> For a slavery fifth, he's backed himself into. Yes. But at least you can write that off as, like, he's nervous and, like, and, awkward or whatever. And we see Holt cutting him slack, saying, you are intentionally being harsh to Peralta. Right. To his husband. <laughs> Not anything about Amy. <laughs> well, Amy has no one to blame but herself. Exactly. That's why she's the biggest loser, hands yeah. down. Oh, God. Although Jake draws all the fire for the wine drink they all bought. <laughs> Which, so out of character. Like, okay, fine. Jake, Gina, Scully, Hitchcock. Totally buy that they bought wine drink. Maybe Rosa, because she doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, Rosa could not care less. But Amy would have... Amy's a tryhard. She would have tried to buy, like, a wine that was, like... 
Because, like, remember, she's the one who finds the restaurant that they end up having dinner at together later. Yes, yes, you're right. Amy's yeah. a tryhard. She would have tried to find an impressive bottle of wine. And she bought whole six Christmas presents. Yeah. There's no way she bought wine drink. No way. Maybe she used up all her time on YouTube tutorials for how to do that hair that failed. <laughs> that poor girl. Yeah. And then, um... Or she rushed out the door without wine and had to get more. And maxed her credit cards. Charles and Terry... Well, we don't know what Terry brought, but Charles... I know that Terry did not bring wine drink. Ter- Terry probably did what I did, which is Terry probably brought fine cheese. That's like a whole other level of party game. All right? I Let me tell you. <laughs> because because everyone brings... So, podcasters, if you go to a group party and, and you're fairly certain all your friends will bring drink, you bring food. Bring hummus, bring chips, bring cheese. Bring um, their water crackers, is what they're called. Whatever. Table water crackers by Cars. Yes. They're the definitive party cracker for cheeses. Yes, exactly. Because they're perfectly tasteless. Regardless, if you know all your friends are going to be bringing drinks to a party, you bring food. Because you know what happens? Two hours into the party, you're everyone's hero. This is the classiest episode so far. We've talked deep thoughts about the New Yorker and the Intelligentsia. We've given some high-level cheese stratagems. I, I think we've earned our our place in whatever class we happen to be. <laughs> we have. We earned our bougie card today. <laughs> Let's uh let's actually talk. It's cops versus academics, and it's a weird like we talk a little. We mentioned the class thing. Let's de- dig into that a little bit. It is about like the intelligentsia. These these people are very much upper class. None of them like seems to. So upper class is a little Nothing class structure. Though. Class structure in America is a little weirder than that, especially in this particular area. Yeah. Well, no, not this, not this geographic area. In the area of. Um, academics. Oh, I'm sorry. So the way they're perceived is kind of there's occupations that get you into a kind of class activity without bringing in a ton of wealth. Like I was saying earlier that you can only afford a house like that if you happen to be a Columbia like head of a department. Yeah, and tenured and everything. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, tenure is a different thing. Like if you aren't on a tenure track, you're making like survival wages at best. Mm-hmm. Adjunct professor makes you no money ever, um, and it's it's horrible. But like, the intelligence is a really specific thing. The intellectual class has a kind of lifestyle that comes with it that simulates the upper class in some ways and not in others. So it's this incredibly specific group mm-hmm. with a specific way of talking to each other mm-hmm. that is just nothing like how cops interact. Nope. It could not be further away. I mean, given that the majority of the time that we see the 99 interacting with one another outside of the precinct is at what's clearly like a dive bar. Yeah, these are two very different worlds. Like, cops do not live in a world of dinner parties. And more than that, like, I don't know. Academics are about having the same conversation for, like, 25 years. <laughs> oh, yeah. And cop, cop work is not like that. Cop work is you reach a decision, you go with it. Yeah, and you move on. Like, yeah. there's a new case all the time. Yeah. You're, you're, you're moving on, you're going quickly. They're stats-driven. Both, both of my parents are academics. Yeah. So I've been to, like, conferences with them. I've seen what this is like. These are people who are having the conversation that they started having when they were grad students. Right. But but what's interesting is what you see here is the cops are kind of... Sometimes they're like party tricks, like Scully. Sometimes they're like 
Vivian and the people who gather around Terry are fascinated by the skill being displayed by these cops, which, again, is a little condescending. <laughs> um, although, Charles is equal to anyone when it comes to being a foodie. Also, this is the episode that defines the fact that uh, Charles is Hannibal from the show Hannibal. Because he talks about Ortolan, which is very important in the second to last episode of season two. Maybe the third to last, I don't remember. You should put that gift set together. Yeah, I think I'm too old for that shit. I think my <laughs> prime gifting days are behind me. I, oh, no. I never made a GIF. So, oh, no. I downloaded GIF Cam once, and that was the height of my GIFing accomplishment. It's fair. I had, I had Photoshop once. It was alright. I, I have Photoshop for my job. Nice. Yeah. You're right. I like the uh, I like that you point out that there's a range where it's like you have parlor tricks like Scully, you have desperately trying to fit in like Jake, and yeah. then you have and then you have uh, people who are effortless because they follow Terry's fucking advice and do the thing they're good at. Yeah, exactly. At some point, I want to get off this and into a specific thing. Yeah. So this I can't do that now apparently, but like Amy's like art history major stuff would have been good enough because. In situations like this, academics are willing to lower their level of discourse to a certain extent if they have to, and are also just endlessly interested in explaining their specialties. Oh, yeah. So if Amy knew enough to occasionally ask the right questions, she would have been a hit. Ironically, if they if she had used her actual detective skills to let people talk about themselves... Yeah. She would have succeeded. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Circling back to this, she really should have listened to Terry. Like, if, if especially if she wants to get into Holt's Good Graces, Terry's already there. That's where Terry lives. <laughs> Terry is all about Holt's Good Graces, even when Terry is calling Holt out for being a crazy person. He does it respectfully in the language that Holt speaks. Yes. And Holt never holds it against him. And he's never, like, complimenting Holt on his goddamn slacks. God. Which, like... He's wearing a matched suit. They're not slacks when they're a matched suit. Not even right. Come on, Amy, as she says to herself. It's so beautiful watching her fail. It's so endearing here. I related to it so deeply. She's like, pull it together, Amy. I remember watching this and being like, oh, Amy, Amy. But yeah, I think I think we've ragged enough on Amy. I don't sure. want to rag too much. I've- what I want to talk about is how Rosa and Gina work in this episode. God, let's talk about how Rosa and Gina work in this episode. So, this is the only episode in which I ship them. And I only got there this time. But the way that Rosa acts towards Gina in this episode, where this is like the second time that one of them has been tasked with basically safeguarding the other from themselves or from someone else, right? The other one being the bed. The way she acts towards Gina is so possessive and proud that it's sexy. Like, I'm watching that. I'm watching Rosa being pleased with herself about Gina. I'm like, that is that is really appealing. Because she, like, figured out the situation in which Gina would fascinate everyone and is like, yes, I will unleash my friend on them. I also appreciate how... Well, first of all, she's like, I'm great at parties. I stand in the middle and don't say anything. <laughs> but I also love that, like, in order to, like, find a way to distract Gina from stealing stuff, she goes, what do you do? And then he's like, I'm a microbiologist. And she's like, boring. That's terrible. <laughs> yeah. She's actively dismissive of their specializations. And the guy's like, hmm? <laughs> He's, like, legit, like, confused. Like, no one has ever probably reacted like... He, it's like they can't tell what is wanted from them. Oh, Yeah. 
No. And then and then she's he's like I study. She's like 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 crazy people. Like like freaks and weirdos. Yeah. And he's like I guess. And she's <laughs> like you have to meet my friend. What kind of, that's an amazing introduction. This is less the case, but I love how Rosa just floats through the party fighting the worst situation, which is her actual party skill. That is not only just is that her actual party skill, that's like her superpower. Yeah. yeah. Like, she finds Amy at her lowest moment and is like, blink twice if you want me to mercy kill you. <laughs> the night got worse better. Like, that's that's who she that's is. Her, that's, that's her soul place. Yeah, no. Gina and Rosa are so great and just like, I just love she doesn't say much and she just kind of stands there drinking wine and just like smirking over her glass. And being so, all the scenes with Gina are amazing. Oh God, like yes, the, so quotable too. And when she keeps saying weird things, and the accumulation of scholars—that is some of the best humor they've done. Gina and Rose in this episode are just some of the very best humor they've done. Honestly, when Gina says, "I I think I'm the Paris of people," I think she's actually like she's 100 percent on point. Because look how many academics have just suddenly like coalesced. It's around like her. this is an intellectual moment. Yeah. Come here. Yeah, yeah. They're having a goddamn enlightenment, like like age of reformation moment here. Yeah. Right here. <laughs> it's this is a Gina Renaissance. <laughs> But but beyond that, like we we've harped on this a little bit before, but everyone else kind of fails their party expectations. There are certain ways in which there's a narrative that the party is reading into the situation, mm-hmm. and no one's clued in on it, so they can't really do anything about it. Yeah, there's a reason that like Kevin doesn't Kevin doesn't let them talk about cases, and Jake figures out the reason, which is. You know, that Kevin doesn't like the police because of how they've treated Raymond for being gay. Mm -hmm. And so much clicks into place there. Especially, so I love the scene where Skelly's singing opera. And Hitchcock is, like, watching him tearfully because they're in love. (laughs) I'm not going to say the ship. You don't have to. They know. (laughs) The audience knows. I'm going to tag it. Oh, no. Okay. Oh, Eh. God, I really shouldn't. No. Who knows what will happen? I don't even want to know what's in that actual tag. Don't go. Don't go. But but go. No. I'm I'm not doing it unless I'm an incognito. Bring it back back to our ass box. All right, audience. I promise Earthy will have to deal with it. (laughs) You jackass. (laughs) This is harassment. I'll stop. You're the worst. No. But the way that that guy is like, so clearly this must be another example of the fabled gay cops. We know this dialogue. We will, like, we know this narrative. So we will put it on the situation. Mm-hmm. You're right. They impose their narrative on the Scully-Hitchcock relationship. And they're right. But, like... Arguably, yeah. Hitch- uh, Scully's reaction is is just... No, Hitchcock's reaction. Because yes, Scully's right. singing. I, I don't care to tell them apart. <laughs> Hitchcock went bald at 15. And I know I can tell them apart. Hitchcock's the one who looks like Alfred Hitchcock. He's bald and round. <laughs> In the behind-the-scenes stuff, Andre Brower asked a really important question, which is, why would Holt have that picture in his house of a very painful moment? 
And I thought that was really fascinating. Yeah, I've never thought about that. Neither had the writers until Andre Barras did. It just had to be a clue. It was a it was a plot point, and so they kept it in there. And Andre Barras was like, "So why is this here? Why would I keep this here? What why would he? Ray have this here?" And they were like, "Uh, um, uh, reasons, <laughs> I guess." <laughs> go, go away. Do your do your act. Stop, stop thinking so hard. And it was it was a great little thing because every time I watch that episode now, I kind of think about that. I'm like, why would Ray have this here? And I actually think it's not Raymond who insists on that picture being out. I think Kevin keeps that picture around to remind himself of, like, Ray loves his job. Yeah. You know? And he's really passionate about the Aglinic Pa. And, which, by the way, the acronym that Andre Bauer still remembers every single letter for. <laughs> Good for him, because I barely can say that word. Um, I mean... Fake word. Aglinic Pa. But the... Kevin, I think Kevin is the reason the picture is there. He's keeping it there to remember how it used to be worse. Yes, exactly. Even though Holt has been working really hard to make it better, and even though Holt's efforts are clearly being rewarded, like now, and they're paying off, he's got the captaincy he worked really long and hard for, but at the same time, you know, I think Kevin doesn't want Ray to forget where he came from, and like what they had to deal with in the 80s. It might also be the first picture of them as a couple. Very, very possible. Like, in public. Yeah. That might be very, very shortly after he came out. Holt is in full, like, 80s Holt, 70s Holt. Yeah. And, and... Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he came out in 1989. So maybe he held on to that cell a little too long. Well, he definitely had it after the eight-year relationship with not Sitwell. So. Yeah. But either way, you're right. It could possibly... Oh, is that the same guy? It looks like him. I don't think it is, but it looks so much like him. That would be amazing. <laughs> he would have been right to end it. <laughs> Clearly. Hail Hydra. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> the That Jake puts it together, which, by the way, he does it with an assist from Amy. <laughs> like, Well, one of those, I said something, but now you seem to be running with it, so okay, I'll take the, I'll take the win. Assists. That she gets sometimes. No, she never finds out what she won or how she how she helped him win. She was just saying something, right? But like, it's that her observation is what helps Jake put all his pieces together. Yeah, that's how the relationship works. That's a good example of how their relationship works. Fair. They're also dressed in complementary colors. Mm-hmm. The ultimate point, though, is that bringing this back to where we started. Like, all of these are reasons that this couldn't have been a post-sports ball Super Bowl episode. Because, you know, we're talking about an episode that really discusses the the, the difference between, like, it, it's, it's about class... There's some amount of class tensions. There's a discussion... There's, like, quiet discussion about racism and homophobia in institutions like the NYPD. There's... I mean, it's about an interracial gay couple who... They're married. Yeah, in New York. I mean, yeah. it's just like, it just screams. And it ends with them holding hands over a candle at dinner while another man, like, sings opera to them. Yeah. there's Holding an- roses. Yeah, there's a lot in this episode to unpack for people who aren't into it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I... I but it's so well-crafted, and it, it's such a nice episode. Yeah, I came out of Broken Feather thinking, ugh, is this what my favorite show has become? And I got this episode which has literally everything I could possibly have wanted. Yeah. Yeah, definitely that part. The only thing it lacks is Jake Amy shipping. I mean, they end up with him holding a towel against her face in a bathroom. Terry's like, there, though. They are so close together, though. Yeah, but, like, Terry's there. 
So? And they're in, I mean, you've said this yourself. They're in the bedroom alone together for, like, five seconds. Sure, but, like, I mean... I actually kind of get mad when people cut Terry out of that gif. Oh, yeah, I mean, me too. But, like, it's not like Terry isn't critical to their relationship. Oh, it's (laughs) You're 100% right. They they only have that relationship because Terry kind of was, like... Fucking do it. (laughs) Just shut up and work. Cool. (laughs) Alright guys, thanks for listening this week and my name is Arthi. My name is Carl. And we'll see you next week. Bye! Bye.